Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Program presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You can directly interact with the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants, W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the last show of the week before we turn our attention fully to the scouting combine, we're going to have a normal show here on Monday, then shows live from Indy Tuesday through Friday. It'll all be the same time, 1230 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern. There is a new article up on CBS Sports that I want to get to, Paul, about free agent needs for all NFC teams. But let's start off from a big picture perspective about what the combine is all about and what teams look for. We don't necessarily have to get into the nuts and bolts in terms of the players, but there are, if you ask front office executives, and I was actually recently having this conversation with Bill Polian on Sirius XM NFL Radio, right. that they hone in on specific things that they're looking for. Most executives will tell you, it's not getting bottled down at all of the drills, but there are certain measurements and standards, Paul, that they set. So if you watch a defensive lineman on film and you saw somebody flourish two or three years ago, you want the defensive lineman for this year to maybe match those measurements from previous years because usually it's a good ballpark figure indication-wise. There is the face-to-face interview which teams get a tremendous amount of value because they get 20 minutes or so looking at a player in their eyes and seeing what they're all about. Sometimes they have a team psychologist involved in that meeting to provide analysis as well. And then probably the cherry on top, which is more valuable than any other component, is having access to the medical information. I would probably rank that number one. It is number one. I would put maybe the measurements as well as the meeting face-to-face, neck-and-neck for number two. But I would say those, to me, Paul, are the three main factors, substance-wise, that you get out of the combine. Yeah, there's no doubt in terms of the combine itself, the 
ancillary benefit is that the GMs have access to all these agents who are floating around the sure. hallways. Yep. <laughs> there is a lot of conversation going on about those pending free agents that we were discussing yesterday. Uh, trust me. <laughs> and fellow NFL executives, too. No question. Whether it's uh, in the hallways of the convention center or in the lobbies of the hotels or, for that matter, in the bars of the restaurants, uh, it is nonstop uh, NFL conversation. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've been in the stadium for the drills that you will see on television. NFL Network will televise uh, all the drills in the stadium uh, from the combine. I've been in the stadium for those, and I've watched those. And it's it's a unique experience. It's kind of fun. It's kind of different. But that's not where you glean your info. You know, where, where I get the 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 crumbs that that uh, the the scuttlebutt that really helps me start to formulate some strong opinions coming out of the combine comes from all the other places you know whether it's in the media room or whether it's in the actual interview room where all the prospects come and sit at the different podiums and give out you know their interviews um what what i really like a lot of times just so people understand this when they bring in, uh, let's say, at 11 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, they'll bring in, let's for argument's sake, say linebackers, okay? And the linebackers will come in for 15 minutes at a time. They'll bring in in waves, and they'll put them around the perimeter of the room at their own little podiums. And they'll sit there, and they would just wait for crowds of media to come. And sometimes it's a big crowd, a lot of times with your top 10 picks, that crowd could be 50 people deep, literally like a beehive yeah. around that guy's podium. Um, you, you've been, you, you haven't been ever? No, I haven't, but I'm very okay, so familiar, familiar with this okay. setup, though. I, I know how it's I didn't know if I was throwing yeah. you off. No, no, I, so, I'm completely fine. And, and, and it gets to be really hairy even trying to get your question in because everybody is just jamming this guy for his 15 minutes trying to get whatever their question is. Then you've got other players, and they're usually you know, your third or fourth rounders maybe who are at the Combine, you go over to their station and there might not be anybody there. Well, it's an intimate interaction. Or maybe or, or maybe there's only one or two reporters there. Now you get a chance to go over and talk to him and you, maybe you cut, cut your eye on him, you know? And uh, in fact, I, I remember, I'll give you a great example. Darnay Holmes during the Combine, when he came to the Combine, he was sitting at his podium and Holmes was a known prospect. He wasn't like uh, an underdog out of left field. People knew who he was. He well, played he at UCLA, UCLA. Yeah, the right? program. And he, was, and he was considered a very highly draftable player. So I was interested in him. He was one of the guys that I targeted that I wanted to talk to. I wanted to get a feel for him. And so when I went over to him, and there was only three people there. And I waited. They asked a couple questions. And then they walked away. So now I'm left. And so lucky now, him, by the way, very lucky him. Oh, tremendous! And so yeah. now I'm I'm starting to ask him questions about schemes that he played. I'm asking him about how how comfortable are you in the in the slot? You know, if you're going to wind up being a nickelback, how do you feel about that? What how how do you feel about physicality? You know, you gotta you gotta come up sometimes on the as a blitzer from the slot. Uh, you gotta be able to produce run support. You know, what is what what are you, what are your best skills? What do you think your biggest adjustment's going to be in the NFL? And I wound up peppering him with like eight or ten questions. When I got back to our set, 
I had already, like I said, I targeted him going into the interview process. This is a guy I was interested in already because I had watched tape on him. I came back to our set, and you could ask uh, John or any of the people who were with us at the time. I said, uh, I think Darnay Holmes would be a pretty darn good pick for the Giants on the start of the third day. I would, I would really like to see this guy get picked because I think he can play. I think he can play some slot. I like his attitude. I like his background. I like I like his answers. Um, I've already felt good about him, but now after meeting him and just talking to him for even only a few minutes, uh, I got a good vibe. Now, it's superficial. I get it. I'm not a scout. Okay, I'm not. I didn't do a half-hour interview process with him behind closed doors. I didn't see his medical files. You None didn't of that. Put up the film and have him break exactly, down plays. exactly. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. But I came away from that short opportunity to meet this guy, fortunately in a setting that was less crowded. Yeah. And I felt really good about him. And lo and behold, the Giants wound up taking him. And, you know, he, he, he's done okay for them. I mean, uh, some, to some people he's been disappointing. To other people they probably felt like, you know what, he's been, a, he's been an okay guy for four years. And the biggest lesson for him was when he arrived in the Giants locker room, he knew to have at least seven or eight people in addition to you around him. So he never was exposed to a one-on-one situation like that ever again. To deflect, so, to deflect correct. me. So no it was doubt. really, it was a valuable experience, maybe more so for him interacting with you with the combine than vice versa. Or, or how about this? Went up to Daniel Jones's podium and there was only two people at Daniel Jones's podium. And my first question to him was about the comparisons to Eli Manning. I had a nice little chat with Daniel Jones at the podium that day, too. Kind of put that in the back of my mind. I don't know how all of these players got so lucky. I know. Yeah. So who am I going to talk to this week? I don't know. They should have a warning for every prospect that comes to the combine. Well, that it's not necessarily always a good omen I know. to be in your presence. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, you can, you can probably put down uh, some some boxes of ziti that uh, at least one or two of the guys who I talk to are going to wind up here. Well, remember, <laughs> you also have a track record of liking guys, and they don't wind up here, too, when it comes to the draft. So I think the numbers have balanced out a they, little bit. They, they, some, some guys didn't, yeah. didn't work out. That's true, too. But that's just an idea of what the structure is in the yes. layout of the land for the scouting combine. There is an article up on CBS Sports. They have all AFC teams and all NFC teams, two separate articles, and they have the needs in the projected cap space of every team in the NFL. So for the Giants, projected cap space is just under $19.5 million. And remember, these numbers are fluid. They evolve. They change. So I wouldn't really read so much into that. You can sign one contract. All of a sudden, that number drastically changes. Have you seen the day of the combine that the number is supposed to be coming out? When they give out the salary cap numbers yeah. you're talking about? The salary cap number is supposed to come out during the combine week. Yeah, I'm not but exactly I haven't seen sure the day. which day. But I would assume by midweek we should at Keep least looking out idea. for that, folks. Yeah. That's an important I mean, day. There are a lot of individuals, though, that have already put out projections of what they think. Well, yeah, Mike, Mike Florio says Correct. 250. Well, in addition to Florio, there's been plenty of other individuals. And I'm not just talking about the salary cap number. Also, the franchise yeah. tag numbers have also been projected. And usually those numbers are reasonable in that ballpark. They'll be close. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a difference of maybe two to three million. Here two to three million could be a couple of players. Sure. Just but remember that. I think most teams, if you're going to give a franchise tag to a player, then you know 
that you're going to commit a good portion of money to that Understood. Understood. I think that's how they operate. Plus, here's the other thing that's important to note, and I'm actually glad you brought that up because you even brought this up yesterday. When the salary cap goes up, this idea that, oh, well, it's going to create so much space for every team. Remember, salaries run in the same direction of the cap. Mm-hmm. So that means everybody's salaries are going to little by little increase. So the quarterback salary is going to go up a little bit and the wide receiver. So it's not like you're creating an overwhelming amount of space. The whole point of why the salary cap goes up is the players want to make more money from an individual standpoint. Yes. So well, know, there's limited as, funding is my point that's going to be left I all think, around. I think there are two points to be made when the, when the cap number comes out. Number one, yes, it can give you a little more room to maneuver in your bubble with your organization in terms of how much you are willing to spend on a particular player or a particular position. That it can do. It can help you in that regard. But from the other side or the bigger picture, which is what I think you're alluding to, is that the number goes up for everybody. It's league-wide. Yeah. Okay? So so that means every other team also has a little bit more room to potentially make an offer to your player as they try to steal him. So I won't say that it necessarily knocks it out or evens it out. I do think that for a number of teams, whatever additional salary cap uh, money is allocated to this year's number above what they expected, for some teams, that will actually be a benefit. Well, it could be a benefit. For most teams, it probably won't be much because they're competing against the rest of the league. But for some teams, that few extra million is going to make a difference for them because they probably have a pretty solid structure as to what they want to do. And if they got an extra million or two to maybe get uh, a 10-year vet on a one-year minimum, well, guess what? All of a sudden, that $750,000 for that vet on the one-year salary cap exemption minimum that they didn't have before because the salary cap went up $5 million. So it can it can make a difference to some teams. Especially, I was going to say, the teams that are carrying over cap space from the previous season. Oh, sure. Those are the teams that really benefit. Because if you already go into this year with flexibility, anything else additional is essentially mm-hmm. icing on the cake. And remember, teams need to set aside money for the draft, and they need to set aside money for getting them through the rest of the season due to injuries. So that's where I think it's extremely beneficial because maybe you were banking on allotting this amount. Well, now you got, let's say, three, four million in addition. So now you could go and spend a little bit more of the money you were allotting aside to go on players, such as your point about some of those seasoned veterans. There's a third angle to the increase in the cap number that most people don't even consider, but you do have to consider it because in some cases... It can be a factor, and that is if you've decided that you're going to move on from a player and you want to make him a pre- or post-June 1st salary cap cut, depending upon how you want to count his dead money, well, all of a sudden now, if you find out that you have an extra $5 million in cap room that you did not have before, you may decide to change your mind in terms of which, which cap cut are we going to use on him. Because now we've got a little more room to maybe absorb a little more dead money in the cap. So that could make a difference on when you decide to uh, to cut the fella. So that is the projected number that they have under the Giants. Then they listed needs. And these are needs in free agency. You could also argue, though, these could be needs that they address in the draft as well. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if they put this, Paul, in order of priority. 
Some of them are in alphabetical order, others aren't. So I don't know what to read into it, and there really wasn't an explanation, but they listed a lot of positions for the Giants. Here's the list, and this is the list (laughs) of the order that they put it in. And once again, I think you could read into this as much as you wish. Quarterback is listed as one. Guard, center, cornerback, defensive tackle, edge, wide receiver, and running back. And I always like to read and go through the little blurb just because sometimes that may provide some rationale okay. as to where they were going. Sure so, thing. This is the following. Quote, Giants need a lot of work across the board. Daniel Jones still has another year of guaranteed money left on his contract, resulting in $47 million in change of a cap hit for next season. New York may be prepared to walk from Saquon Barkley as a result. Top priority for the Giants should be the offensive line. Unit that allowed a league-high 85 sacks, most by any team since 1986, and a sack allowed per dropback rate of 14%. Drastic changes are needed to make that unit competent. New York could also use better veteran pass catchers too. With Darius Slade and the only one worth retaining, Wondell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt have a combined three seasons in the league. Keep in mind, Robinson has one season where he was banged up. For the Giants to contend, they need a competent offensive line, fix that, and go from there. End quote. So, just something to digest as we analyze some of these positions. Money was brought up specifically for Daniel Jones and the need for pass catchers. And, Paul, this goes back to the conversation, if you recall, we had yesterday when a caller brought up about maybe not going after a wide receiver at six. Right. And we said, well, wait a minute, hold on. You're assuming that all of these wide receivers are going to be healthy for the entire season, which right. you know is not going to happen. And we were also talking <laughs> no. about you got to label them weapons, not wide receivers. And I think based on this description, they see it the same way that we were talking, where there's room to add another wide receiver if you believe that player can be a playmaker. And they reference the fact that there have been some injuries to that position and also that Darius is really the one guy that has probably the most seasoning on him in comparison to other players at that position. Right. Well, here's the problem, all right? If you're the Giants and you're picking at number six, as we've discussed many times, if you have conviction about a guy, you've got to just take him flat out. That's it. You just take him. But if you don't, let's just say for argument's sake, even though we all seem to believe that there's at least eight unanimous picks in the first ten, I think most people believe that they know eight of the guys that are going in the first ten, and there may be room for one or two guys who might swap out. Though quarterback is a bit of a wild card. I think everybody figures three. No, I'm with you, but who knows? All it takes is another needy team makes a move, and maybe we get four. Yeah, We've seen okay. crazier things. Okay, That's all I'm going to throw But out. I think minimum yeah. three. Minimum, minimum eight out of the ten, we already know who those eight players are going to be. Okay. So now, if you're the Giants and somebody does ring your phone and you don't have complete conviction on the guy that you want at number six, you now have to figure out not only what is the overall take of the trade offer that, that you may get because somebody does want to go up maybe and get one of those quarterbacks, but you also have to say to yourself, okay, how far down are we willing to go? And I think that that is another very interesting part of any trade conversation. It's not just, are we going to get the collection of picks that we want as a price? 
but how far down are we willing to go in the first round if we're going to move down? I'll be frank with you. As I go into this combine, I'm not sure where my comfort level would be, how far down I would go. I suspect I wouldn't want to go down more than a handful of spots at most. There have been other times where we've been on this program, and certainly the Giants were a little bit closer maybe to the middle, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I could go down another six or seven spots. It wouldn't bother me if I went down to 16, 18, 21, 22. Maybe, maybe that doesn't bother me because I, I just have a feeling that that's going to be okay. I don't know right now how far down I'd be willing to go, regardless of what the trade offer is. Do you have an idea? How far would you go? Well, my response to you was actually going to be, I think number six is too valuable of a commodity. You don't think you would trade it at all? It's hard, Paul. I mean, when you look at the needs of this team, where this team is, and... Remember, there are multiple needs. Sure. Remember that. But when you start moving down the ladder... I think history of the draft has shown that the chances of that player becoming a franchise game changer, a Hall of Fame potential talent, a all-pro pro bowler does diminish, Paul. I think in fairness. It does. Okay? I, I have the legitimate chart on no, this. No, I know. I've well, done. I mean, whether I have the numbers in front of me or not, I've seen enough that I think there's a great deal of validity behind that. So if we're talking about you go from six to nine, no, I don't think that's crazy. But if you start talking about you're going from 6 to 18, 20, that is a drastic jump the opposite way. Now, could the Giants move down, Paul, get resources, and then look to make a move up? Meaning you want to stack up chips, but now you like a player that's still on the board and you can maybe swap with a team. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can move up. I mean, we've seen teams do that. But once again... When you start leaving the territory of where the Giants are, you're giving up potentially on a talent, and I'm talking about at any given position, that could change the trajectory of one side of the ball for your team potentially. It could. Okay? It, it could. Not a guarantee, but it's a possibility. The only situation that would swing me to make a jump down is if... You have no interest in taking a quarterback when you're on the board. Right. Meaning you don't like anyone that fits that profile. Mm -hmm. But a team is itching. I mean, they are scratching like they got eczema on both hands. Okay? And that rash is growing. Well, that's the way and the Jets were when they would trade it up to get Donald. Correct. They they told the Colts, come on, just come in here and take every well, but that bar wasn't in the address, If I'm correct, weren't the Jets like six or something yeah. and they moved up to three? So yeah. that wasn't crazy. Well, that's no. what a lot of people want the Giants to do. Well, but no, but I'm talking about a team. A lot of people do. Well, but I'm talking about, Paul, a team in the teens that has oh, interest oh, okay. in a quarterback. Okay? okay. So this is a sizable. Okay. That's what I'm referring to. That, I'm not referring to eight to six or, or some minute. Jo- I'm talking about you get a phone call. You don't want to take a quarterback. They're in the teens. They need to move up. And they're enamored with this guy. And you're listening. And now they're talking shop. And they're willing to give you an offer that is very hard to pass up. A boatload. Yeah. Okay. That's when I start listening and I say, okay, that's something worth heavily considering because the group of assets 
that you would be getting in return. And who knows, maybe you get a proven veteran. Remember, in some deals like this, we've seen established players yes. be involved too. Yes. That's when you have me listening a little bit closer. Okay. But anything short of that, once again, I return to number six, I think is too valuable to pass up. Okay. I'm going to give you one piece of historical evidence that I gave to Howard Cross on the show the other day. It may or may not change your mind. I'm not trying to convince you. No, I'm just I'm offering you sure. more fruit to chew on. Yep. I did a study, NFL draft beginning in 2000 through 2020, because anyone taken in 2021 is still on their rookie contract. Okay. So therefore, I wanted to exclude 21, 22, and so 23. So a two-decade period. So it's a last two-decade period. Yeah. Overall picks between 1 and 10, only 55% of them have made at least one Pro Bowl. Well, but that's still a pretty good percentage. 55. 55%. Yeah, that's half. How, more than half. If I yeah. said to you, give me the over-under before I gave you that number, you would have probably said 70. Yeah, you certainly, I mean, if I said to you 55, you would have left. I would have went that high. I, maybe I would have went into the 60s, Paul, but in fairness, remember, we do use the term inexact science left and right. There's a reason well, why we say that. we do because we know we work in this industry. I don't think most people out on the street would have believed 55%. They clearly would have gone higher. I mean, I think that that to me is lacking perspective in based on how the uh, look who we're talking about. You know, a lot of times, well, but a I lot of fans... times, a lot of times, um, without the data in front of them or the information in front of them, it's easy to get carried away. And and by the way, people salivate over these top ten picks. You'd swear that everybody believes those guys are going to the Hall of Fame, and they're not. Well, you know what, though? I think realistically, if you understand the ins and outs of the draft, that would bring that number down in anyone's mind is if three or four quarterbacks are taken fairly early in the draft, most years, right? I mean, there's exceptions. Mm -hmm. The chances, Paul, of all four of those guys panning out is slim. I happen to agree. I happen to agree. You don't have to convince me of this. I'm not trying to convince you. We're just having a conversation. What I'm saying is, is that that quarterback track record by default, it's not very good. Bring down the number. It absolutely overall. does, and that's my point. Okay, picks eleven to twenty, forty-four percent. Do you do you like that number? Forty-five. Well, now we're dipping clearly. Okay, but this is this is Pro Bowl only. This is this not is, all Pro. No, all this, of this is guys who this have made at least one Pro Bowl. Okay, but what I'm saying is, which as, as, as I said to Howard, yeah. to be frank with you. These numbers are even high because Howard brought up, and I said, absolutely, Howard, I get you, but I wanted to establish some sense of standardness to this whole thing. Okay. He goes, well, guys make the Pro Bowl if they were seventh on the depth chart. Everybody well, that's dropped what I'm out. Yeah. So, so what I'm, really what I'm trying to tell people is that top 10 picks are not a sure thing. They're far from it. And so if only 55% made a Pro Bowl, and then from 11 to 20, 44%. Made a Pro Bowl, and from twenty-one to thirty, thirty-three percent made a Pro well, Bowl. Well, but you're dipping as you go down, though. Well, of course you are. So that's my point. So, so the question becomes: If you're going to get a package of picks and potentially drop out of the top ten and go from the fifty-five percentile to the forty-four percentile, what is the collection of picks that you need to go into that forty-four percentile, which could take you all the way down to twenty? Well, if you, first of all, if you move from 6 to 20, 
you're probably talking about assets for the following year. Oh, no question. And you have no idea where the team that you're swapping I, with look, is going to wind up drafting. I'm, I'm probably not going down that far, to be frank with you. I probably am only comfortable with a few spots. But I'm simply throwing out that hypothetical yeah. because that's what we do right now as we go into the draft. Sure, but going Everything's back, hypothetical. Going back to our initial conversation, my point is you need to take a move that far down to get a sizable package that I think impresses you to feel good about leaving six. That's my point. Let's put it this way. If you had to leave the top 10 and went into the next grouping of 10 and your chances of landing a Pro Bowl player are only 11% less, is that is that going to significantly hinder your desire to make a move? I guess that's the question I'm asking you. If we're talking about a difference of 11%, no. I, I don't know if it would hinder I think that probably would be too strong of a word. I still think I'd be open to it. But once again, I don't think from the Giants' perspective, if you make a trade like that, to me it's not just about what you're going to get out of the 2024 draft. There's no question. It's about what you're getting down the road. Correct. And who knows where, once again, the team that you're swapping with ends up. Whether it be a 2025 pick, a 2026 pick, and no I doubt. know no a doubt. lot of individuals are listening and saying, well, you know, they need all the assets they can get in 2024 to help move the process forward. Well, they, need, but they could use some stuff in 25, too. Without a doubt. So you can't look small-minded just anyway. through the lens of 2024. And even without making the trade, Giants have a nice group of relatively high picks this year in terms of, you know, top 70 top 80 picks. You know, Not I a think, bad situation that they're currently in without even making a move. Yeah, I'll, I'll let it go there. We yeah. can, no, interesting numbers. What I would be interested... I felt, I felt compelled to at least give them to yeah. you because it, it was interesting to me and it did give me some food for thought. I would be interested and I guess maybe on the surface you would claim, well, wait a minute. If you made a Pro Bowl, then in all likelihood you made an All-Pro and you got to the Hall of Fame. Hard to believe that the well, Pro Bowl didn't. No, I'm saying if you would have taken Hall of Fame, All-Pro, Pro Bowl. And to make it even further. The number would be a lot lower. Really? You think so? Yeah. I don't know about that, Paul. Yeah, because there are a number of guys who make the Pro Bowl who don't become All-NFL. There's a smaller that go the other way. But but Pro Bowl guys, the Pro Bowl number, remember, you, you can have multiple guys because guys are dropping out because they don't go or they get hurt. Sure. And all of a sudden, you're six on the depth chart, and the guy makes the Pro Bowl. All NFL, the AP votes, and it's two guys you know, at every position, first team, second team, Limited all pro. Spots. Yeah. There, there is no dropping out. You know, So if they're taking six uh, nose tackles to the Pro Bowl by the time they get to number six, well, the nose tackle spot only has two in, in the all in the all NFL voting, the all pro voting. Sure, but I, I would find so, it hard to believe that there wasn't a lot of overlap, I guess is my point. If you really want me to take the time, I'll go through no, that I'm chart. I'm just too. throwing that out there. This no, is the I, this chart took me yeah. enough time to do. Oh, I'm sure it did. I mean, heck, you can even throw in individual awards. You know, yeah. guys that won MVP. Yep. Or NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Anyway, NFL it, defensive it's player four year. picks in the first well. seventy for the Giants okay. or five so in the first hundred and eight. Yeah. And okay. that's a nice volume. It's very nice. Going in. So anyway. you got to look at that as another consideration, Paul, before sure. you say, okay, we need to get more for 2024. That's why a trade like that is, to me, maybe what you get the year after. The other part is move up. And not, not in the first round, but maybe you decide, you know what? 
we want more in the second round. So maybe you package something. Maybe you package, and as yeah. part of the deal, you try to get a third, second round pick. Sure. Or you try to get back in at the bottom of the first round, which is unlikely, but to add a second or a third while moving up in those two rounds is always a possibility. Yeah, and it depends. Listen, you could feasibly move into the lower rankings of the first round if the team that you're talking to doesn't think there's a drastic difference between a high second-round pick Anything's and a possible. You know, there are some Unlikely, years, but it can happen. But there are some years where the lower first-rounders are second-rounders. So teams say, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. And based on the rookie pay scale, you benefit as a result of that. Sure. Few reminders before we open up the phone lines. Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You go to Giants.com slash podcasts. As we move forward to 2024, you can take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2024 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And... The Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV. It brings you original video content, game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We got Chris in Paramus joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Chris? What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. All right. What's on your mind? Um, so I, I want to talk about Daniel Bellinger. Uh, who, in my opinion, is the most underrated player on this roster. Uh, he's kind of a, a Swiss Army knife, you know, inline tight end. He can, you know, play, pass catch and play action. Uh, you know, pseudo uh, fullback. Um, you know, he had a lot of production in 2022. Um, you know, he was under Andy Bischoff's tutelage. If anybody's not familiar with Andy, he was coming from Baltimore. He helped the development of Mark Andrews. Yeah, um, but he's now know. gone. Right, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Mm. Um, but but coming off that 22 production, you know, in the off season at 22, he attended the tight end academy. Yep. And uh, George Kittle was actually quoted as you know praising him as a top up and comer. Um, and he kind of got shelved in 23. Um, now that could be uh, part of the reason why that you know, the, the the Waller addition and sure. that trade. Well, that's a big reason growth. why. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that he could be a much, much larger part of this offense because he's so, you know, uh, flexible uh, in terms of position. And, you know, now that it's draft season, uh, I hear about Brock Brockers potentially being the number six pick. And, you know, yeah, powers. I there's not as large of a, uh, a hole at tight end as I think a lot of people think. Um, I think, you know, Daniel Ballinger could be the number one, you know, given, you know, Waller's health uh, issues. But uh, it's a lot to chew on, but I just wanted to get your guys' take on Bellinger as a player, Bellinger's future, because, uh, you know, it's kind of got on the, you know, shelved a little bit in, in last year, and I don't know what the reasoning behind that was. But Well, I mean, once things. again, I'd point to the arrival of Waller and appreciate the phone call, Chris. The other thing is, and I'm bringing up his numbers, Paul, and this to me tells it all, Bellinger played a full season in 2023. Remember, he had the eye injury in his rookie year, so he plays five more games yet he has seven less targets this season. 62% of the snaps compared to 72% as a rookie when Waller was not here. Correct. So that, to me, is the biggest reason. Mm -hmm. I know Waller missed mm -hmm. some time due to injury, but Waller did play, at least in the early stages, and then came back, and you know that's going to take away opportunities, at least in the passing attack, for Daniel Bellinger. See, I happen to like Daniel Bellinger a lot. I, I do think he would probably tell you 
he was disappointed in his season this past year. Uh, there were there were a number of blocks and pass protection that um, that he did not get the job done as well as he would have liked. I'm I'm sure he would tell you that if he was sitting here. Um, his his pass catching was fine. He averaged ten yards a catch. You know he he, he made some plays and you know he's not a thousand yard receiving tight end though. That's not him. And the Giants without a thousand yard receiving receiver wanted a thousand yard receiving tight end, so they went out and traded for Darren Waller. Especially given the limitations of wide receiver and now, the injuries. If you had a bona fide game breaking stud at wide receiver who was a lock for a thousand yards, well, then perhaps a tight end like Bellinger, who is not that particular threat, would be a much easier fit into your system. But if if you don't have that game-breaking wide receiver, and you're looking to the tight end to be your 1,000-yard threat, well, that's why Waller was acquired. And I don't think that that situation is going to change this year. What I will say is this. Whether or not the Giants go out and get a receiver at number 6, or even later on, I do think you will probably see more double tight end sets this season than you saw last year. And some people are going to say, well, you're crazy. Because if they draft a receiver and they've got Hyatt and they've got Robinson and they've got to do, if they, if they, um, they have a, a Slayton, they're going to say to me, and you have Hodgins, they're going to say, well, why would you not get these guys on the field? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that the Giants are going to buck the current trend in the NFL, which is getting a little bit away from that three wide receiver set and becoming more and more run-oriented. And when you start to become a little bit more run-oriented or have a better balance, you start to play more two tight ends or you decide you're going to add a fullback, which almost half the teams had a fullback this year on the roster. Well, including the Niners, Kyle Juszczyk. No question. Now, I don't know that the Giants are going to go fullback. I don't get the feeling from this coaching staff that they want a fullback. But... Do I think you could see more double tight ends? They had, they did, they did a significant amount of double tight ends in 2022, and they made the playoffs. Let's not forget that. Everybody thought they'd be strictly three wides, like almost all the time, and they didn't. They shocked people because Kafka and Dable were supposed to be more pass-oriented guys, and in 2022, they ran the ball better. Maybe the Giants need to go back to that 2022 playbook a little bit, too. I think Bellinger is the perfect... And he fits in that. Correct. But he's the perfect component to a one-two punch at the tight end position. Meaning, you know, you're not going to put him on an island, but you can have a nice room if you have him and a Waller or another explosive player. Because Bellinger gives you the blocking component, but he also can fill in if your number one guy gets hurt and he can prove to be a reliable option in the passing attack. He's a good I mean, player. He a lot of great plays in 2022, especially up the sideline and running after the catch. Bellinger has proven his wealth and his health, too, which is important. I mean, the eye injury, I mean, that was one of those freak accidents. Other than that, he stayed pretty durable mm-hmm. in his first two years of the NFL. But, yeah, based on the last caller's point, I mean, you and I have had conversations, or maybe it was John and I, I don't think the Giants need to go all out to add a tight end. I think between Waller and Bellinger, 
you're in a good position. If they want to sign a veteran out there on the free agent market, somebody that has several years to add more to the room, that's fine. But I don't know if they have to use high draft capital I wouldn't. on that position. I wouldn't at all. I don't all. think they're in a position that they need to do that. Just as a matter of uh, comparison, this past season, um, the Giants ran the ball uh, 458 times and averaged 4.1 yards per carry, okay, for over 1,800 yards. In the playoff season, and again, this just goes back to proving what's becoming very obvious in today's NFL as the tide starts turning the other way, 520 rushes for over 2,500 yards and a 4.8-yard average. They ran the ball more, they had more success with the run, and they made the playoffs. Just saying. They were tied for fifth in the NFL in rushing yardage in terms of yardage per carry, to your point. In 2022. With the, with the 4.8, because I have those numbers in front of me. They dipped to 16th in the NFL in yardage per carry. And, and, and that, that's a product of a healthier Barkley, a more functional offensive line that was able to stay together and yeah. produce at a higher level, and more of a commitment to the run. Even though you had a healthy Daniel Jones that year who played well, had, had maybe his best season. Even with that, okay? Even with that, and a wide receiving core that was badly banged up, your running game was really the linchpin that, that helped get you into the playoffs. Well, you could argue, based on what you just mentioned, out of necessity, they had to be heavily run-oriented. Yeah. And, but and your worked. quarterback was a big component of that, and he was on the field. Yeah, the game. he was. Whereas now... He, he was a part of that, too. Which, correct. Again, so I think that did impact the numbers. I, I, I get yeah. that. I get that. He, again, nothing's in a bubble. I always try yeah. to tell you folks that. It's a spider web, the NFL. Nothing is in a bubble. So I don't want to be too restrictive to the thought... But that, that was a main component. We could talk about some of the other ancillary factors, but the main component was they ran the ball significantly better in 22 than they did in 23. And that clearly was something that benefited them. That, that's not debatable. Now, I will say this, okay? Every offensive lineman will also tell you it's easier to run block than it is pass block. Sure, yeah, going forward as opposed to backwards. They'll tell you that all the time. So as you continue to try to reconstitute this offensive line with a new offensive line coach and maybe, again, import some guys, yeah. we, don't, we don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but the offensive line has to produce better. Maybe, maybe it's going to be easier for them to improve if they become more run-oriented. Well, I would say regardless of the personnel they bring in this offseason, I'm talking about the weapons at the skill positions. I think there should be more of an emphasis on the run game just to avoid putting quarterbacks in a position where they get hit 85 times like they did right? last season. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, just, you the, can't afford to do the that. The byproduct again. is also try to keep your quarterback healthy too. Yeah. Now, and I, and I even say this with the early suggestion before the combine that says based on how the picks are probably going to fall out, because John keeps asking me all the time, well, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? I said, well, if they fall out the way it's going to fall out, right, they'll probably have uh, Odunze and Neighbors are probably going to be available at six. You're probably going to get a chance at one of those two superstar receivers. 
Would you take one? Yeah, right now, my gut feeling, even after everything that I've said, would probably be to take Odunze. And I've said that on this show before. I reserve the right, when I come back from the combine, to have a different opinion. This is strictly premature. I have not done any of my combine intel. But that's okay. Because you can take a guy like Odunze, who can make impact plays and big plays, and be used in a limited role as a rookie. You could still be one more run-oriented this season as he works himself in as a rookie, and he could still make several big plays like Hyatt did this past year. He made a number of big plays. You would want more yeah. out of Odunze. But you don't have to become a huge pass-oriented attack just because you draft a wide receiver at six. Well, and also as it stands right now, I don't think that'd be wise based on how the team is currently constructed. Even if you add Odunze. That's what I'm trying to say. You could still take him. I don't want people to say, well, how could you even suggest taking Odunze and at the same time talk out of the other side of your mouth and say, stress the run a little bit more. No, I think you can actually do both. Well, and remember, you're not drafting Odunze just for 2024. Absolutely. So just because you're run heavy in 24 doesn't yes. mean it's not going to change exactly. 25 or 26. Exactly. Yeah, you can't get caught up in analyzing picks for one year. It's not how it works. In the NFL, you want more than one season out of the player. And what's also a key component of a really good run game? Wide receivers that block up the field. Okay, let's not forget about that. Hence, another reason why I like Odunze over neighbors. Bigger body, bigger frame, stronger, more physical. Yep. So I would argue you actually are helping your run game, even if you bring in a wide receiver. Yes, sir. I'm on board with that. Because if you want to get that guy to the second level, the wide receiver is going to help. It's no coincidence that, and I always love to use examples around the league, one of the big reasons why the Niners were able to showcase Christian McCaffrey, yes, they have Trent Williams and their offensive line produced. But go back and look at McCaffrey's runs to the second and third level. And Paul, you're going to find Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk out in front of him, blocking to give him an additional five yards. If he doesn't get that, Niners' run game's not nearly as explosive, no matter what you think of McCaffrey. Don't forget about what they do to the corners when they seal the edge either. Or downfield, yep. they just start taking a corner out, and all of a sudden, a five-yard run is a 15-yard run. Those guys are all effective in the blocking game, and they have a desire to do that, too. I used, I used to joke all the time with, with Plexico Burris, who was not known for his run-blocking proficiency, but he was a big frame. <laughs> Takes always, up space. And I was always joke with him. I said... With your frame, you just got to get in the way. He goes, that's it, man. I just got to get away. And that's what he would do. Yeah. Most times, Plexigo would just get in the way, and it was enough to spring the back. He didn't necessarily have to block. He just had the the, the space-eating frame that if he just got in the way, it served to do its purpose. Just be an obstacle. That's it. Even if it's for two seconds, be an obstacle. That's it. Be a hurdle. Yes. So that they got to look around you, above you. They got to <laughs> jump. You name it. Let's head back to the phone lines. Mac is in D.C. joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Mac? Hey, guys. Uh, first time caller. Just want to say you guys do a great job. I really appreciate it. I actually look forward to this every day. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Um, appreciate it. No problem. Um, following up on the uh, the wide receiver chatter, uh, I did want to uh, inquire about uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton. I-, I know PDOT loves his skyscrapers, and I know um, we signed these guys to undraft the free agent. Of course, he got injured. Um, but we invested, I think, a, a decent amount of money 
to uh, make him choose us over other teams. And, um, you know, with the number six pick, I'm not saying that we can't, you know, pick a wide receiver there. But um, how, how do you think that comes into play, his recovery, his process? And um, do you guys know anything about that, his, uh, how, how he's projecting at this point? Um, I kind of would like for him to come back like Wondell Robinson did this year after the, uh, the surgery. He came back maybe midseason and was able to... Sure, but I mean, think about how long it took him, Mac, to get back and make an impact. That's why I don't think when a guy's coming off a torn ACL, I don't think you could bank on that player being ultra-productive for all 17 games and being back to his old self. Also, unlike Wondell Robinson, Ford Whedon hasn't played one regular season snap in the NFL. And if you're going to draft a wide receiver at six and you take into consideration all the guys that are under contract, maybe tough for him to make the roster. Remember, he's got to make the 53. Before you even talk about his potential impact, he's got to find the spot on the 53-man roster. And that's no given based on the volume that we're talking about at that spot. And to be honest, uh, we have not heard anything at all, anything, since he got injured as to where he stands. So it would be totally unfair to, for me to give you an opinion or a comment because he he has, he has really not been on the radar at all. Now, for his sake, I hope he has an opportunity to come back and compete because there's certainly room to compete here. Now, that was the third preseason game against the Jets, just to understand when he was injured. So, I mean, he's had the entire year to get ahead of the process compared to a Wondell Robinson who was hurt, I want to say, in Week 11 his season when he tore his ACL? Yeah, it was, it was... I think it was week 11 against the Lions. So, yeah, I know it was against it was, the Lions. I just don't remember which week it was. It was past the halfway point. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. 11. So a little bit different in terms of the timeline, but I think the difference, once again, Mac, between him and Wandell is Wandell got on the field, was a high pick, proven talent to a certain degree. Ford Whedon hasn't gotten to that point. So it's a bit of a more uphill battle. So right now, without knowing where he is and how the rest of the roster is going to shake up, I wouldn't bank on him absolutely having a place on the depth chart. I get it. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you got it, Mac. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring. An intriguing prospect, to say the least, though. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that. He is not a, a burner. He is a big framed receiver uh, who will be a possession guy. But but he's he's certainly not a burner or a game breaker or an impact receiver. He is he is more of you know again he is a possession guy. That's what he's going to do. Um, it remains to be seen. Again, we're going to go into this like we do every August. How many receivers do you keep? And you don't. And know. can you play special teams? I don't think he's a special teamer in any way for me. I don't know that. Well, there's right not now. enough. Yeah, I mean, you just you can't see what he could potentially do on the NFL level because all you have is what he did in college. The other thing that comes to mind player-wise is Colin Johnson because I feel like we were having similar conversations about Colin Johnson, right? Here is a guy with size, NFL experience, missed all of 2022. We were talking about him for this year, right? And he never even made the roster. right? But Johnson at least had NFL tangible evidence, Paul. Fort Whedon doesn't have any of that. Well, to be frank with you, Isaiah Hodgins has some size. He's a possession receiver. Showed a really strong proficiency during the final third of the playoff season in 2022. And then last season was really quiet. 
to be frank, if you look at his stat line, he was very quiet. Do you do you know for sure if if that's what you're going to get out of him this year, or is he going to be more the guy you saw in 2022? Right now, I think I think it's only fair to say you don't know. And let's be realistic. You know, could could he be beaten out? Maybe he could. I don't know. But I was going to say, if we're going to be realistic, if this passing attack is going to take it up a notch and head to the next level. He'll have to be better. Well, he has to be. Yeah, but I was going to say, it's going to be a product of the main guys all delivering and stepping up. Meaning, if you're banking on Ford Whedon being oh, the right, factor, right, right. I'm bringing it back to that. I think that tells you all you need to know. Well, the, no, the only thing, the, you can't bank on it, but you can't discard the fact that Victor Cruz's rookie season was lost with sure. a hamstring I mean, on IR, and then what happened? He became the most one of the most dynamic receivers in the entire league. So I, you can't just throw the guy in a closet and say, look, you're on injury reserve as a rookie. You can't be part of the solution. No. Maybe he could be. I don't know the answer to that. Well, I mean, could be an option in depth also. But you don't bank on it. Yeah. You can't. The other thing is, I think the offenses were in different situations. Well, sure. In terms of 2010 to 11 versus 23 to 24. And you also had Eli Manning under center. Far more experienced, proven, durable quarterback. Again, circumstances different. Well, but that makes no a question. Difference. So, I mean, Everything in, makes a in difference those situations, in this league. Paul, Everything you want to does. talk about Victor Cruz a little bit? I'll give you that. In this situation, you need Darius Slayton, Wondell Robinson, Jalen Hyatt. You add somebody at six, the tight ends. That's the make or break. Okay. God, they, Not somebody no, that may be returning right. from a torn ACL that hasn't played one NFL snap. Those guys need to stay on the field, and they they need to produce at their potential, not just maybe at the back of their football card. That's not good enough. They need whatever their potential is. They need to ball out. Is what they need to do. Well, even if you go back to, and you know, I like to talk about the turnover rate in the NFL. If you look at the teams that missed the playoffs in 2022 and then made it in 2023. And you look at, well, how did they flip the switch? Mm -hmm. It's highly unlikely that you're going to find it was a product of an undrafted wide receiver or tight end come to the rescue. And I brought up the teams, okay? So the three new arrivals in the NFC this year, the Lions, the Rams, and the Packers, they did not make the playoffs in 2022. Right. Okay. So why did the Lions make the postseason? They had a really good draft. Okay. No question. Those first rounders great specifically all contributed. But Jared Goff and the offense had been together. The defense under Aaron Glenn. But even if you look at both sides of the ball, I'm telling you, you're not finding an unsung hero that was undrafted. Most no. of them are no. notable names. Okay. With the Rams, it was Nakua. But a drafted guy. Drafted, but nobody thought he was going no, to be this No, a later-round guy, but drafted. Not somebody that was an undrafted free agent but that they brought in. He produced at, a, at an all-pro all level and had no business doing that coming into the league. But they went through the draft process to find him. Yes. And that, to Fair me, enough. is a big difference. You also got Cooper Cutback from injury. Sure. Okay? Matthew Stafford returned from injury. Mm -hmm. But those are your proven commodities, Paul. Yeah. Okay? So... That's the comparison to what I'm talking about when I list all the Giants players. With the Packers, okay, Jordan Love had a really good season in his first year as a starter. 
Okay, but that was somebody he used a first-round pick on. And even the young wide receivers were all drafted. They yeah. weren't guys they plucked off the street. You're right. Okay, so I think you'll learn a lot about the rest of the league. And if we were to do this with the AFC, Steelers, Browns, Texans were the three teams that did not make the playoffs in 2022, made it in 2023. Well, let's face it. Pittsburgh is always mathematically in the mix ever since Tomlin was the head coach. So, you know, they miss by a game or two. They never drastically fall off a cliff. So the Steelers are not a good example if you're looking at a team to make a sizable jump. Houston is interesting because the Texans, relatively young team, well, they drafted a quarterback who made some really good decisions as a rookie. But even if you look at the weapons around C.J. Stroud, Right, Because that tells a big part of the story. You're also going to find players that the Texans use draft capital in. Tank Dell, before he got hurt, third mm-hmm. round pick, 2023. Sure. Nico Collins, third round pick in 2021. John Mechie, second round pick in 2022. And he dealt with, obviously, cancer and came back out onto the field. Right. I got you. Okay. Devin Singletary, they signed in free agency. Dalton Schultz, former Cowboys tight end. You're not looking at a Bryce Ford Whedon. And I'm not doing this exercise to bring down Bryce Ford Whedon. That's not why I'm doing this. No, I'm no. saying from the Giants' lens. I, I, no, and I'm not saying that you I tried to calm the caller it. down. He, right. he wanted to put him uh, well, as I mean, a, I don't as, know if as, the caller was trying to put him in camp. Well, he was hoping he was that the guy could be part of the answer. Maybe his potential. My That's answer, fair. My, and my yeah. response is... Uh, there's always a chance I would never close the door on a guy. I understand his excitement in the player from watching him at West Virginia. I get that. But, you know, don't close the door on him, but don't bank on him either. Correct. That's all. Yeah. And that That's was all. the point of me going through these other teams because the Giants are the same position, right? They're looking to bounce back. We'll get back into the playoffs. But you see young players who were scouted and developed thanks to the coaching staff, not some of these gems that appeared out of nowhere. So the Giants are going to move forward. It's got to come from the recent draft classes. And Paul, we had this conversation entering 2023 that it wasn't going to be just about the 2023 draft class, right? It was going to be, could you get a little bit more out of 21, 22? The combination of all of these classes. And if you go back to the Giants draft, their history in recent history, no matter who they bring in here in 2024, it's got to come from the players that showed flashes as rookies mm-hmm. doing more than just showing flashes, okay? That's what it has to come from. For example, Micah McFadden had a tremendous season. Can Micah McFadden duplicate what he did in 2023, right? Isn't that going to tell an awful lot? You got to do better than that. Okay. Well, you're, my point is well. Not just dupl- not just duplicate. That's fine. I'm with you. You I'm know, not when, when, when that. you're when when you're a young player and you get to your third and fourth season, man, you know you, st- you still got to show some ups there. You know, you can't just flatten out in year two and say that's what we're going to be. You still want improvement in the in the third yeah. year, and that's where that's where you really the, the old mantra is your third season. That's where you really better show that you belong. And then from that same draft class, okay, Wondell Robinson had a nice second half of this past season. Can he stay healthy, and could he put it all together for 17 games? Evan Neal was a part of that draft class, okay? 
are you going to get him to stay on the field? Cordell Flott, Paul, was a part of that draft. Mm-hmm. Cousin. You've brought him up as a valuable component in the secondary, but he's also dealt with some injuries. We were talking about Daniel Bellinger. He's part of that draft class. Dane Belton, who got some opportunities late last season when Jason Pinnock got hurt. So, you know, all of these things you've got to see now come to fruition, but it can't be two good games out of this guy, three good games out of that guy. It's got to be you can bank on, you can hang your hat on production out of a cluster of seven to eight guys. Mm -hmm. That's how teams take the next step forward. So it's more than just the 2024 draft. With that being said, I think that'll wrap up shop here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So we'll have a show from our studios here on Monday, then Tuesday through Friday from the Combine in Indianapolis. And everything is 12.30 p.m., to 1.30 p.m. Eastern. We're trying to make it as easy as humanly possible on you. <laughs> you don't need to change your clocks. You don't need to adjust your schedule. Or just download it on the app after the show's over. That's true. <laughs> that too. The archive I is always there. I beat around the bush. Yeah. The archive is always there. See, even if you miss the program live, we do actually make it easy on you. So I should have started by patting ourselves on the back. Yes. But I decided to make Podcast it Podcast platforms everywhere. There you go. We test Paul after the show ends if he can name every single platform that you can access this program. I fail. Well, you did pretty good on the fly here, though, so (laughs) I will say you passed with some flying colors. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the weekend. We'll speak to you on Monday right here at 1230 p.m. Eastern. Have a good one. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.